Isaiah 28 tonight. Isaiah Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Verse 9. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared um, and taken. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word tonight, and I thank you for the good services already today, and for the moving of your spirit in our hearts, and we pray that uh, you'd help us just to abide in you and to obey you, uh, Lord, to be followers of you. And I ask for the filling of your spirit uh, tonight to teach that which you've laid on my heart, and pray for my dear wife and the nurse, if you with your spirit ministering there. I thank you for the word that's gone forth already today, uh, the Sunday school hour for the adults and children, the, uh, the worship hour and the, the revival sermon there. And, and Father, we, it's just been good to be in your house uh, once again and, and, and with your people. And Father, uh, we look forward to you speaking to our hearts and, and helping us in the scriptures tonight by your spirit. Uh, Father, I just pray you'd edify your church and I pray that you'd be glorified. Uh, be with uh, Brother Matt, who is speaking at Brother Brown's church tonight. Fill him with your spirit. Uh, be with Brother, Brother Norm Stevens, where he'll be at as well. And Father, help us to be careful to thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Could I have someone bring me a glass of water, please? Thank you, Brother Charlie. Or Brother Dennis, either one. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Dennis. Did that speaker slide down on that pole? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. All right. <clears throat> Sometimes on Sunday nights I will address a passage that has been brought up before me that seems to be a difficult passage and and uh, this doesn't just seem to be, okay, it is. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, not sure I got 100% figured out yet, okay? I could have used another day or two studying on this one, I think. And, uh, but it's interesting. We'll learn some things, I'm sure, uh, be encouraged uh, in, in the Word of God. And, of course, we've looked at this and, and understood it to realize that we need to be studying the Word of God and building upon the truths of the Word of God, line upon line. Uh, precept upon a precept 
Um, it's important to uh, understand that as Isaiah speaks these words, he has addressed, just addressed, as he puts in his own words, the drunkards of Ephraim. Uh, in uh, Isaiah 28.1, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys, which are... Um, uh, which the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. And so he is, has been rebuking. Uh, Ephraim was uh, uh, another designation for the northern kingdom as, uh, of, of, uh, of Israel. And uh, as we know that uh, Joseph became the prominent tribe there. Uh, Joseph had two sons, uh, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you remember that Jacob uh, chose to bless Ephraim the younger over Manasseh the older. And so when Isaiah uses the, the, the phrase Ephraim there, and the Bible uses the office to talk about the northern kingdom uh, of, uh, of, of Israel there. Well, uh, they obviously long had departed from uh, the separation from Judah had been quite a while, and they'd been in their idolatry, and Israel, uh, Judah was up and down and, uh, in, uh, in, in their revivals and their wandering away, but Israel never did come back. Uh, they just went the, 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 headed the, the wrong direction the whole way, and so things had gotten pretty bad there, and, and Isaiah kind of addressed those drunkards of Ephraim, as he calls them. And uh, some believe that verses 9 and 10 are actually a reply of the scorned prophets and priests uh, uh, to God or Isaiah. Well, look, at, look a little further on there. He says uh, in Isaiah 28, he says, uh, uh, see, <clears throat> see, where was I? <clears throat> Isaiah 28, if you look at uh, verse uh, 7, and we'll look at this a little bit as we go on, but he says, uh, he's addressing Ephraim, condemning them, uh, the northern kingdom, and then, and, and then he says, uh, he says, and we'll see this a little bit later on in verse 7, but they also have erred, and here in this he turns, he's now, he's now actually addressing Judah there, he has condemned Ephraim for their, their straying. Now he is uh, condemning Judah, and we'll see that in a little bit. They also have erred through wine and through strong drink out of the way, uh, and, and, the, and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. Uh, they are air and vision. So it's actually addressing those, all, those in Ephraim and Judah, okay, uh, for uh, their, their, straying, their, their straying from God. Now some believe that when we begin to read verse 9, this is actually a reply of the drunkards. This is a reply of those who have been rebuked by Isaiah. And there's some uh, Hebrew words there that are rather short and, and, and kind of an abrupt pronunciation, pronunciation where, the, where some believe it's, indi it's an indication of Isaiah just writing in the way that a drunk would have stammered and, uh, and said things. And, uh, uh, and some believe that it's, it's these drunkards that are responding. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Uh, whom shall he make to understand doctrine? What, what do they believe they're saying there? They're saying, uh, who does Isaiah think he's teaching? Or who, do, who, do, who does God think he's teaching through Isaiah? Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he teach doctrine? Whom to make to understand doctrine? 
them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? Does he think we're just uh, uh, young children? Uh, we're prophets and priests. Who does he think he's teaching in this manner? This simple manner of precept upon precept, line upon line, the basic thing. We're prophets. We're priests. You know, we're, uh, and, that, and some believe that's, that, that's what they're saying there. You'll find multiple commentators that, uh, th that will say that. And uh, uh, so uh, that's, that's kind of the one view there, <clears throat> looking at that. And, 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 and so in that way, uh, some look at it as precept upon precept, line upon line, as uh, not a good thing. Uh, because obviously, uh, if, uh, if you're stammering, if that's, uh, that, that, that's the way you're preaching, by the way, that we need to understand that those who believe these false preachers who are, are mocking Isaiah in what he preaches. But everywhere I've found and studied, they still are mocking what he actually said and how he actually taught. So though they're making fun of them, fun of him, if this be the right interpretation, even those who hold that interpretation say that's, that's the priest, that's the false prophet's mocking, precept upon precept, line upon line. Yes, but those same commentators go on to say that they're mocking the things and the way, the things that Isaiah actually preached and the way he actually taught. So you don't really use the value, lose the value of, uh, of what we've drawn from that uh, in reading that either way there. Um, so they, uh, they're deriding in the manner in, 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 uh, in which he's taught, uh, they would say. And of course, that's what many of the false prophets did. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 and 16. The Lord God of their fathers sent them by his messengers, rising up betimes, and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. And that's indeed what we're, what we're finding here. Uh, so was Isaiah uh, you know, teaching this because of their drunkenness? All they could understand was, was, was the minor things and uh, was the, 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 the precept upon precept, the repetition that they were mocking. Uh, would God rather have taught otherwise, some might think? Uh, well, it uh, doesn't seem so. I, he addresses them as scorners, uh, but again, uh, 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 considering the context of it here, uh, they're speaking about how he actually taught. Now, we see that scorning is the problem addressed here in, uh, in, in Isaiah 28, 14. Wherefore, I hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this, this people, which is in Jerusalem. He's turned to, to Jerusalem there now toward the end of the chapter. Uh, but we'll learn uh, some more about this. And so some believe uh, that God taught this way uh, to make them the prophets fall. Isaiah 28, 13. The word of the Lord was unto them, who? Those, those, uh, those false ones that he just addressed. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept, goes on there, line upon line. Last part of the verse says, it was unto them that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And so uh, did God preach that to them to make them fall? We'll talk about that and look at that and see if we can clear some of that uh, up as well. Did God purposely deliver the word to them in such a way that it would cause them to fall? Uh, 
Some seem, some think it was God's purpose uh, for them for them to fall there to go backwards, and we'll look at that and see what we what we what we what we see about that. Uh, so we'll study a bit about this passage and then address some of those things. We need to be careful when studying the 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 sacred writings among secular historians. <laughs> uh, we need to understand that. Secular historians uh, don't believe the sacred writings, okay? And uh, I thought this interesting. <clears throat> I looked up, uh, and I knew I'd find something like this. I looked up uh, Daniel, the prophet. And uh, here's, here's, what, here's what Wikipedia will tell you about Daniel. First, here's the first thing you, you'll read about Daniel. <clears throat> the consensus of modern scholars is that Daniel never existed. <laughs> And the book is a cryptic allusion to the reign of the 2nd century BCE, BCE Hellenistic king Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Yeah. The reason they say that is because there's no way apart from God that Daniel's prophecies preaching when he did, preaching so many centuries ahead could have been so accurate without God. So they can't accept that. So they say Daniel didn't even exist. Uh, so you have to be careful among, uh, among uh, studying biblical history among secular historians if you're read, reading up on that. You've got to be careful about that. Uh, well, Isaiah prophesied uh, 740 B.C. or so to 680 B.C. Among the, the reign of, uh, our Bible tells us, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, uh, kings of Judah. Uh, he was likely martyred, uh, tr tradition tells us, uh, maybe in the beginning, in, in Manasseh's reign, uh, he was likely martyred. Hebrews records uh, some who were uh, martyred for Christ and says, 11, Hebrews 1137, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder. Tradition records that Isaiah perhaps was one of those that was sawn asunder. Uh, but he lived uh, and prophesied during the reign of those four kings of, uh, 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 of Judah. Now, uh, uh, like the opening of a Charles Dick, Dick, Dickens novels, Dick, Dick, Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities, Isaiah could say it was the worst of times, it was the best of times. And we think about those kings that reigned. Uh, he prophesied during the godly reigns of Uzziah, Uzziah's son uh, Jotham, and his prophecy uh, ended during the, the revival under Hezekiah. However, he also prophesied during the ungodly reign of Ahaz, uh, Hezekiah's uh, father. And uh, it was, was certainly a very wicked reign. He made himself just like the kings of Israel, did all those abominations. And uh, Isaiah also preached uh, during his, during his, uh, his reign. The, the, the Bible says about Ahaz, he was 20 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but did not that which is right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molded images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's how bad it got so quickly. Uh, and he sacrificed incenses in the high places and burst, uh, burnt uh, uh, under, uh, under every green tree. And so we see that. This portion of scripture also includes, as we'll see, a prophecy of the fall of Samaria as well as the detestable worship of the people even in Judah. 
and it seems the details well, well, uh, and the circumstances well uh, fit perhaps sometime during uh, the late reign of Isaiah of, of Ahaz and uh, maybe uh, coming into uh, Hezekiah a little bit there. But uh, so he prophesies here at verse 21, woe to the crown pride to the drunkards of Ephraim. We'll, we'll go through it and just make some comments on it along the way. Lord of the crown, pride of the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are the head of the, of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Ephraim is the northern kingdom. Uh, I mentioned that, and so he, that's what he's talking about. Their drunkenness was both what? Literal, in their gluttony and in their feasting and all that, as well as figurative regarding their spiritual condition. Uh, it was vomitous to God, uh, and both during the reign of Ahaz and uh, and, and in Judah and all that was going on in Israel all through that time. Verse 2. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and a strong one, which, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with hand. Who's he talking about here? It seems he's talking about the coming of the king of Assyria. He's going to come and conquer Israel and take them into captivity. We'd find that mentioned also in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 6. God says, For as much as this people refuses the water of Shiloh that goes softly, we'll come back on this in a minute, and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son. Who's that? Reason is the king of Damascus at the time. Uh, and uh, Remaliah's son is Pekah. He uh, began to reign in the 52nd year of Uzziah, the last year of Uzziah. And that's who is Israel was trusting in at that time. Pekah had uh, slain Pekahiah, and uh, Israel was just in, a, uh, in a, one coup after another at this time, slaughter after slaughter, kings taken over the throne. And uh, Pekah had just slain Pekahiah, and uh, Pekah's Ramaliah's son, and he has uh, connected himself with reason, king of, uh, king of Damascus, uh, king of Syria. And... Uh, and so now, and God says, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bring upon them the waters of the river strong and many, even the king of Assyria in all his glory. He shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. He shall pass through Judah and shall overflow and go over, and he shall reach even to the neck, and stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. So here's the prophecy of the coming of the king of Assyria. Now, we, we do note that there are prophecies which would be antitype of the coming of the Antichrist here. When, when, uh, when, when actually when Christ comes to destroy the Antichrist in his reign and deliver, to deliver Jerusalem, uh, we'll find, uh, we can find that these prophecies also point forward to that. Multiple times Old Testament pro prophecies will speak of a circumstances temp temporal but also be a foreshadow of, of things to come. And many see that in this whole chapter of Isaiah 28 uh, uh, as well. So uh, this prophecy here, the coming of the king of Assyria, he's going to be strong and many. Uh, he's going to come up over his channels, go over all his banks, shall pass through Judah. He would come down and through Judah. He would, he would take the fenced cities in Judah of such, and uh, he would come what? Eventually in what? He would come to take Samaria. Remember, he besieged Samaria. And uh, the Bible says that he shall reach even unto the neck. 
I think about that, you know. How, how far did Assyria come? They, I mean, they, they, they came right up to the, wall, to the wall of Jerusalem, took all the fenced cities, you know, right, right up to the net. Well, what's the head of Judah? Jerusalem. Was he able to get them? No. Uh, God delivered them. And, and yet, uh, he, would, he would later, he, he would, uh, he would it, before, early, er, even earlier than that, he would, take, uh, he would take Samaria. But he goes on, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. Uh, he says, uh, be trodden under feet. The glorious beauty which is on the head of the fat valley. What's the glory of Ephraim? Samaria, the capital, is going to be trampled down. It's a fading flower. It's, a, it's like the hasty fruit before the summer. Which when he hath looked up it's, and seeth it, while he is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. You know, you see that first ripe fruit, and you're going checking out how the fruit's doing. Oh, there, there is one that's ripe. You take that, and you just grab it. It's only one. You, you grab it, and you eat it up. You know, that, that's that first ripe fruit. Well, some have, uh, have uh, likened this, perhaps, to the fact that uh, after Shalmaneser V uh, besieged uh, Samaria for the three years there, he was quick, or his successor, Sargon II, uh, Salmoneser V died the very year that uh, 722 uh, that Israel was taken captive the, the, at the end of the three year siege there and Sargon took over so either Shalmaneser or Sargon was involved in, in the final carrying away there after the besiege but after that three year siege uh, they were, uh, uh, the Assyrians were quick to destroy the city of Samaria whereas they had let some others you know, abide but not Samaria they destroyed it quickly and, uh, and like that first fruit. And some, uh, we, we see the, uh, a, a, the prophecy likening to things that would soon happen. Isaiah is, pro this would, be, would not yet have happened yet as Isaiah is speaking these things. Uh, we know about the, that fall. 2 Kings 18.9 came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, all after Ahaz reigned, four years into Hezekiah's reign, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, Son of Eli, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, that would be Shalmaneser V, king of Syria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. All right. Um, now, uh, Isaiah 28, 5. In that day shall the Lord of the hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. Uh, now, of course, we see a prophetic utterance of the Lord coming at the, in his second coming. Uh, when he will show himself, they will they'll they'll worship him whom they pierced, and uh, and he will deliver he will deliver Jerusalem. But what is more uh, contemporary here is that uh, what would happen? God would what mightily deliver who Jerusalem when they called on who the Lord of Glory and trusted him only. He would mightily deliver Jerusalem uh, from Assyria. Uh, he would be for a crown of a diadem of beauty unto the res who's the residue of his people? Who's left after Israel's carried away? Judah is. Judah's left after Israel's carried away. He'll be for the spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. That's interesting. Especially when we read what, what Hezekiah did when Assyria surrounded him and, 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 and Jerusalem. You read that in 2 Chronicles 32.6. What did Hezekiah do? He said, Captains over, of war over the people and gathered them together in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria. For all the multitude that is with him 
for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So what did he do? He gathers them to the gate and says, we're going to trust in God. There's more with, we have God, so there's more with us than there are with him. And what happened? God wrought a great deliverance. You might remember that. What was it? 180,000 Syrian soldiers died uh, you know, that, uh, in that uh, mighty judgment of God there. So uh, uh, he came up and God delivered them. But then Isaiah goes on, as we saw, but they also varied through wine. Uh, Judah wasn't perfect either. He goes on to say, all tables are full of filthiness and uh, uh, vomit. There's no place clean, verse 8 there, he says. Uh, Though Jerusalem was experiencing temporary revival under Hezekiah, his reign was compassed, as we saw, uh, by his, uh, his, uh, his wicked father Ahaz before him and his wicked son Manasseh after him. So that revival was short-lived. Uh, they were wavering back and forth, Judah. Uh, and at the end of his reign, Hezekiah was even found uh, trying to cultivate uh, alliance uh, with, uh, with, uh, with, with Babylon. And uh, we'll see that. We get, we get down to the end here. Well, I might, I might just go to that right now. Hezekiah was trying to cultivate some alliances with <coughs> Babylon. <coughs> Look at uh, look at Second Chronicles thirty two six. Oh no, we, we were just there. Yeah, we were just there. Hezekiah calls them to the gate of the city. Look at Second Chronicles thirty two thirty one. Howbeit, in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. Talk about Hezekiah to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. You see that? God tried him. How did he do? Not very well. <laughs> uh, we read how he did. Ezekiel tells us about it. He refers to, in this passage uh, uh, to Jerusalem as uh, a hola, to, to, to Jerusalem as a holaba. And he says in Ezekiel 30, 23, 23, 9, he says, Wherefore I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers. There he's talking about Ahola, uh, Samaria. I have delivered her into the hand of her lovers and into the hand of the Assyrians upon whom she doted. They, these discovered her nakedness. They took her sons and her daughters, slew her with a sword. She became famous among women. They executed judgment upon her. And when her sister, Aholabah, who's that, Jerusalem, saw this, she was more corrupt in her, in her inordinate love than she, and in her whoredoms, more than her sister in her whoredoms. She doted upon the Syrians, her neighbors. By the way, during Ahaz's reign, uh, Pekah and Reason, Pekah, king of Israel, and Reason, king of uh, Pekah, king of Israel, united with Reason, king of Syria, and they went up against Ahaz, and Ahaz allied with the Assyrians. <laughs> he allied with the Assyrians to conquer them, and, and was able to, and was able to drive them back. But when Aholibah, when her sister Aholibah, Judah, saw this, saw the fall of Israel, 
She was more corrupt in her ordinate love than she. She doted upon the Assyrians, her neighbors. Uh, captains, rulers, clothed gorgeously, goes on. Uh, then I saw... Uh, 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 then I saw that she was defiled, that she took one way. She increased her whoredoms when, the men, when she saw men portrayed upon the wall the images of the Chaldeans. So we got uh, Judah united with the Assyrians during Ahaz's reign, and we have it happening during Hezekiah's reign uh, with uh, the Chaldeans. She doted upon them. Image of the Chaldeans portrayed with vermilion, girded with, with girdles upon their loins, exceeding in dyed attire. Uh, princes, all of them to look to after the manner of the Babylonians of Chaldea, the land of their nativity. And as soon as she saw with her eyes, she doted upon them, here it is, and sent messengers to Chaldea. You ever wonder why those Chaldeans came to Jerusalem to look at, at Hezekiah's riches? It's because he'd already sent messengers to Chaldea. You see, he was courting them. He failed in the test that God left him to see what he'd do. And he was associating himself uh, himself with the Chaldeans. <clears throat> and so God saw that, and God said, judgment's going to come. Uh, look what he said in verse 12 here. God said, to whom he said, both of them, to Judah and to Israel. This is, I, God said this to you, Isaiah says. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing. Yet they would not hear. What was that rest and refreshing? God was always telling them to trust in Him. And only Him, by the way. When they went into the land of Canaan, they didn't need to ally with anybody, did they? Matter of fact, God said, don't you have anything to do with them. I will be your victory. I'll go before you, I'll go behind you. I'll be all you need. By the way, he held himself forth that way to Judah and to Israel all the way to the end. They never had to ally with anybody for victory. And, uh, and that was the rest they should have sought. They should have sought uh, that rest. But what did, what, did it, what did Ephraim do? We saw in verse 6 of Isaiah 8, This people refuses the water of Shiloh that goes softly. And Shiloh has the idea of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a stream that's not flowing rapidly. Uh, some believe it, it, at this point it might be referring to, the, uh, to, the, to the, the exchange of kings that in fact overall was, was, was peaceful or at least orderly compared to Israel's. <laughs> uh, you know, we, when Judah and Israel split up, and we have different times. We have Hezekiah himself inviting those have left, those left uh, that hadn't carried away by Assyria, inviting them to a Passover. And there were times when there was revival in Judah. They're trying to divide Israel back. And, and you know, the Bible even tells us that many of, of, the, of Ephraim, of that tribe who wanted to follow, did come back. They came back so that, so that Judah became really a melting pot of all the tribes. The faithful priests came back. The ones that, that wanted to worship according to the law of Moses came back. So it, so it became like a melting pot. But all the ones that stayed where? Under, under the kings of Samaria, what, what were they doing? They were giving their elite, they were refusing revival. The rest that God offered them, what? Under the, under, under the teachings of the true God, under the wing of the Almighty, they were refusing that, 
and remained under Jeroboam and whoever else was king. Right up. This time it happens to be Pekah, uh, uh, and, you know, Pekah and, uh, and, uh, and Reason. You know, uh, uh. And so they're, they're resting in that king. They chose. Uh, they rejoiced in Reason and Ramaliah's son uh, rather than, uh, uh, than coming back, to the, coming back uh, to the true God. Isaiah Ahaz aligned himself also uh, with Assyria, we mentioned, in the, uh, in, in, in the same way. And so he speaks of those alliances. Uh, that's, what they, that's what they needed to do. It was just, was, was just trust God. And, and so God would bring judgment upon them. So what are some things uh, about this, this repetition, these uh, uh, mocking of, of Isaiah's teaching? Um, as, as I mentioned, uh, all that I've read uh, seem, seems to me to be saying that is what he was teaching. Uh, whether it's him saying it here or the or the prophets mocking him saying it, uh, so either way, uh, you know, it seems to me that's what he's teaching. And we understand that that we do need to build a foundation upon reading the Word of God. Uh, but the Norm was talking this morning, you know, just uh, about about uh, about going on, you know, not uh, uh, not the, not being uh, you know a kindergarten Christian, you know. There's some things we're just supposed to get down and move on. Amen. Uh, we can name three of them. Read your Bible. Pray and what? Go to church. Amen. If you're going to be a strong Christian, get those things down and move on. Amen. Uh, don't be failing in those things. Get those things down and move on. And uh, line upon line, precept upon precept, uh, building these doctrines. And... Uh, Repetition. Uh, these got tired of it, and uh, frankly, because they weren't listening to it, uh, they, they they weren't obeying it. Uh, but repetition uh, is is can be a, a good thing, and we need it. Uh, Acts fifteen seven, uh, uh, or, or Philippians one. Paul writes, "Finding my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same." things to you to me indeed is not grievous but for you it is safe Paul said I'm going to be repetitious with some things why because we need it we need to be a people who who uh, who uh, are listening but we under, need to understand that we are can be prone to forget and so when we teach the word don't be afraid uh, you know to teach uh, doctrine over and over again we need it and uh uh, and we need that. Uh, that, 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 that that song that we sing I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest you know the old old story well we need the doctrines and we need them time and again and uh, so it's a good thing to remember teaching to be uh, Peter talked about uh, talked all about, about bringing it into the remembrance of things and, uh, uh, and so we see that we need that but also, what do we need? What ought we to be, be careful about as learners then? If we know we're prone to forget, then we need to be what? Careful to remember. Amen? Uh, it ought not to be uh, like those, you know, like those uh, 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 dull hearers in Hebrews. For the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the French first principles of the oracles of God. See, we need to be careful that, that we're not hearing it time and time again because we're not listening. You know, 
Uh, because we need to be care- we need to be among those uh, uh, that catch it perhaps quickly. Don't need to hear it fifty times, you know, before we get it right. As but kind of what Brother Norm talks about too, you know, getting getting the, how many times have you heard him? Well, get him, learn him, you know, and uh, and uh, a- and move on there, learning those things. So being faithful to read our our Bible, and uh, uh, so repetition, you know, kind of like you know Proverbs twenty six. Uh, 26, 4, and 5, I think it is. <clears throat> Proverbs 26, 4, and 5. Go there. <laughs> 26, 4, and 5. Pages are a little, a little old here. Proverbs, I lost my Isaiah place. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. <clears throat> Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Well, which one is it, preacher? It's both. <laughs> Turns on the circum- depends on the circumstances, doesn't it? Well, it's the same way with repetition. It's a good thing, teaching. It's a bad thing if we have to hear it, we have to hear it repeated and repeated and repeated because we're not listening. You see what I'm saying? And so there's kind of two sides, two sides to that coin there. And then we saw uh, just one more thought that we'll address that we looked at, uh, at uh, you know, did God send these things uh, that they might fall back there in Isaiah, <clears throat> in Isaiah 28. <clears throat> they dared, Isaiah 28. Uh, <clears throat> He says, the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, goes on there, that they might go and fall backward uh, and, be, and, and be broken. And so he, said, he says that there. He says, uh, uh, and why is that? What, did God send that for the purpose that they would fall? Uh, no, he didn't send it for the purpose that they would fall. Why, why did they fall? Uh, because look at verse 12. It says, this is the refreshing. Look at the end of the verse. What's it say? Yet they would not what? They would not hear. You see, when he sent it, uh, the question was asked me, well, then didn't God send that for the purpose of them falling? You know, kind of, uh, that's why he sent it. No, that's not, that's not the only look at that. You know, he, well, he did this that they might fall backward. It was to them that they might fall backward. But we need to understand this, and we can't understand it fully, but we need to realize it. God has foreknowledge. That means he knows what's going to happen in the future. And that foreknowledge doesn't 
that foreknowledge includes things that are arbitrary, things that may or may not happen. Some believe that God's foreknowledge can only be known by something that actually happens. They say God foreknows everything because he sees past, present, and future all in one vision, and he knows everything that has happened, past, present, future. Because it happened, he can foreknow it. But I would submit to you, God goes beyond that. He can foreknow it, even if it might have happened. Remember when David was in, was in uh, fleeing from Saul, and he wanted to go uh, to the city, what was the name of the city? He's going to deliver them from the Philistines. Who was it? What was it? Zik. No, it wasn't Ziklag. It was, uh, it was a walled city. The name escaped me now. I think it begins with an A. Uh, what was it? Keila. Keila. That was it. Keila. Keila. He wanted to go to deliver the city of Keila from the Philistines. And his men said, we're, we're hiding out here in the forest and running from Saul for our own lives. And you want to go save Keila from some, some from foreign army? And David prayed and God said, yeah, go do it. And, uh, and so David went and talked to God. And he, well, he, well, he went and he delivered Keila. And then uh, uh, the word of the Lord comes to David. He says, uh, David, David uh, so, uh, he inquires of the Lord. He heard that Saul was going to come and get him at Keilah because Keilah was a fenced city. He heard news that Saul was going to come get him. So he, so he asked God, God, will Saul come and get me at Keilah? What was God's answer? Yes, he will. Well, will God, will the men of Keilah Turn me over into Saul's hand? God said, yes, he will. What happened after that? David listened and he fled. Something that never happened, God knew. <laughs> it would have happened. It was in his foreknowledge. God knew what Saul would have done, though he never did it. So God's foreknowledge includes knowing every possibility. <laughs> He doesn't have to know the possibilities because he knows what we do or think. I'm, I, I'm not professing to understand it. I'm just telling you how much God knows beyond what we know. What I'm saying is this. When God sent his word to these people, he wasn't wondering, I, hope, I wonder if they're going to listen to me. He, when you and I send the, go and, and tell someone the gospel, God's looking, not looking at that person saying, I, I, I wonder if they're going to listen and get saved. He's not wondering, folks. He already knows. He already knows. When that, you might think of a person who you, who you witnessed to, and they just, I mean, they just out, 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 and out rejected it. I mean, they looked at you like you was just the most wicked thing in the world. God knew that would happen. So when God sent you to that person, he sent you that they might fall backward. It wasn't a surprise to him. Could God not have sent you? Absolutely. God knew exactly what would happen. But it happened not because God made it happen. Why? Because they wouldn't hear. But that didn't surprise God. He knew exactly what they did. So God didn't have hope when that, when that person whom he knew was going to reject it, he wasn't saying, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope. Oh, they rejected it. No. 
Now, in his heart, he was hoping they would because he loves them. There's always something in God's heart that wants everybody to be saved. But in his, but in his absolute knowledge, he was like, I know exactly what they're going to do. When I send you to them, you tell them the gospel, they're going to spit in your face. But I'm sending them anyway. And he had no other expectations than that because he knew what they do. <laughs> Though he didn't make it happen. Okay? Now, have I made it that as clear as mud? Or, uh, that, that's how mighty God is, all right? That's how, that's how mighty God is. When he sent them, his, he didn't say that I want to make them fall. I'll send this and harden their hearts so they won't believe and they will fall. That's not what happened. He sent them saying, I want to deliver them. I'll tell them again, trust in me only. But I know that, it's, they, that the words no sooner are going to get out of my prophet's lips and they're going to, in a sense, spit in his face. But I'll send him anyway, and that's what will be done. That's what, that's what the Bible is talking about there. That's how God knew. That's how he sent them that they might fall backward. God can't unknow what he knows, okay? He knows what's going to happen. And so that's, 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 that, that was the result of God sending the message to them, and God knew it would be. God sends the gospel, by the way, to those. What happens to those who reject it? They, they get condemned, don't they? God sends the gospel to those that will condemn. To the one we are a savor of what? Life unto life. God sends the gospel to those whom he know will receive it. To the other we are a savor of what? Death unto death. God still sends the gospel to those he knows who will reject it. And it's no surprise to him. He sends the gospel to condemn who will condemn. And that will be everyone that rejects it. And he sends it to save all who will be saved. That will be everyone who receives it. And in his heart, he longs for all to receive it. And that's what the balance of the scriptures teach us. And, uh, and so we see God's heart for Judah and, 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 for, 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 for Judah and Israel, for Jerusalem and Samaria, all through their rebellion, still reaching out with prophets, yet in his righteous judgment uh, use, judging them justly and ultimately using that judgment what? to bring the gospel to you and I <laughs> and, uh, and to send the apostle Paul and to bring about the church age and his, his, ways, are, his ways are past uh, finding out Heavenly Father I thank you for your word today God uh, uh, truly uh, we have an amazing book uh, Father it has uh, foretold uh, the future with such accuracy, dear God. And earlier in the chapters here in Isaiah, uh, prophecies were made of the coming already, and even as far as, as early as chapter 8, of the coming of Babylon, which Isaiah, which would be a hundred years, a century after Isaiah's time. And God, uh, Father, you knew that. and You put that out. Father, we have looked at history. We were able to read the pages of history now and look at Daniel's prophecy. And, uh, and, and we believe, God. We're not like the rejectors uh, who have to say that you're a liar, say that your prophets are a liar, and, uh, and, uh, and that Daniel never existed, God. We don't have to do that. We can believe. And Father, I thank you for these things. Our faith is not a blind faith. Father, we have a book that has given us so much fulfilled prophecy along with so many changed hearts and lives, Father, which we can view each and every day 
and which we read about in the wonderful pages of Scripture. Help us, dear God, to be among those who receive your word. Father, that we uh, can receive the joy and the blessings that come with it and not bring our, upon ourselves the, uh, the very sorrows that our own rejection would bring should we choose not to abide in you, dear God, even as we were exhorted and encouraged to this morning. Uh, Father, please help us in these things. Help us to continue on glorifying your name, drawing closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.